Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Virginia Allen. If you have not heard already, Problematic Women is on Instagram. Thank you so much to all of our awesome listeners who have sent messages, followed the account, liked and shared content. We appreciate that so much because it helps us spread the word to even more problematic women out there who are looking for empowering, fun, and informative podcasts. So if you've not already, open up your Insta app and search for problematic women. But on today's episode, my sincere hope is that you are all listening to this show on a beach somewhere, just soaking (laughs) up the last little bit of summer. My guess is that the more likely story is that you're driving home after work or you're on a run or maybe you're unpacking boxes in your dorm room. Wherever you are listening, we are excited to break down a few really big news stories today. This week honestly started out kind of slow in the news cycle, and it ended up being one for the books. Yeah, wow, Virginia, that's definitely an understatement. We have so much to unpack from New York Governor Andrew Cuomo and live reacting to woke kids' books. We also share a great interview with the producer of a new film, Transmission, What's the Rush to Reassign Gender? And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or CastBox and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. Up first, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo announced his resignation on Tuesday. The announcement comes shortly after New York Attorney General Letitia James released the findings of an independent investigation that reports the governor to have sexually harassed 11 women. Take a listen to Cuomo announcing his resignation via MSNBC. The best way I can help now is if I step aside and let government get back to governing. And therefore, that's what I'll do. Because I work for you. And doing the right thing is doing the right thing for you. Because as we say, it's not about me, it's about we. Kathy Hochul, my lieutenant governor, is smart and competent. This transition must be seamless. We have a lot going on. I'm very worried about the Delta variant, and so should you be. But she can come up to speed quickly, and my resignation will be effective in 14 days. That was Tuesday. So now in 12 days, Cuomo will no longer be governor of New York. Lauren, what was your first thought when you learned that Cuomo had decided to step down amid the sexual harassment allegations? Well, Virginia, you actually told me I was out at lunch when it happened. I felt pretty proud to be the first one to break the news to you. (laughs) I think I I might have used some words that uh, we can't use on the show. I think you might have. Um, I was very, very shocked. Yeah. I still am very, very shocked. I, I, as I think most people thought, that Cuomo just was going to hang on and, and try to just get through this. And it, I think there's a precedent set by 
Democratic governors and, you know, Democrat politicians that you just hold on and then eventually people will forget. Uh, so the fact that he actually stepped down. But I think it's kind of funny that he like gave a two week notice. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. You know, I mean, I guess it's nice for the, the woman who's taking his place, the lieutenant governor, to maybe have a little bit of time to you know figure out what she's doing. But I mean, her whole job is to be ready. And, you know, in case something happens, yeah. I, 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 I just think it's such like a joke. Yeah. OK, I'm stepping down. Just give me two weeks. Like, no, you're at my office. No, like, no, you're, you're done. You're stepping down. But um, but I'm happy. I, I texted my roommate. Ding dong. The witch is dead. <laughs> we know where Lauren stands. <laughs> I was also surprised. Uh, I truly did not think he was going to step down. I listened to his press conference mm-hmm. announcing that he was stepping down. I was more fascinated by what he didn't say in some ways than what he did. I mean, he he really made it uh, very much so about, you know, for your sake, New York people, I'm making this decision to step down. But there was specific allegations he chose to address and there were specific ones he obviously chose not to address. Uh, so, for instance, <laughs> some of the ones that are a little bit more explicit, like touching women's butts and breasts. He chose not to go there. And uh, to me, that that is telling. I mean, I guess you can't fault him too much for not wanting to on national yeah. television <sighs> say, yes, I'm guilty of doing that. Um, but uh, maybe, I don't know, guilty by by silence. But, you know, we'll see how things continue to shake out and the investigation continues to proceed. Uh, but really interesting to see the decisions that he made and the words that he chose to use and I think announcement. it's good that this the system worked right? right he was accused they did an independent investigation they found all of these claims to be credible because I don't think you know if a woman just comes out and says that he shouldn't have stepped down because it it should have time to make sure that they're they're true and exactly you know and that now these women are getting the justice that they deserve yeah no no I think that's such a good point there needs to be that formal process there needs to be thorough investigation but the question now is are we going to also see Cuomo be held accountable for the way that he handled the New York City nursing homes during the pandemic when you know he gave this order that allowed the elderly to be who had covid to be sent back into nursing homes which infected literally thousands of other elderly people, then he was reporting the numbers inaccurately to cover up the fact that all of these elderly individuals were dying in the nursing homes. What do you think? I mean, are are we going to see justice in that area? Absolutely not. Mm. I just, you know, it, and I, I, I feel like that all he had to do was say, hey, guys, it was early in the pandemic. Nobody really knew what was going on. It was a policy mistake and it, it's so unfortunate that it, so many people lost their lives and that's all the the justice that the, these families really need because there's nothing that you can do to bring these families back yeah. and you know it, it was early in the pandemic and there was probably evidence that they should have seen but I, I think the the problem was that he was built up as this like remember people would call themselves homosexuals. he was built up as like this supreme leader who was doing everything right well, he wrote a book he wrote a book touting his successes yeah and and i i think that's what is really the problem that these people have is mm-hmm. that uh, he made a mistake and instead of apologizing and, and learning and moving forward he was 
glorified and he mm-hmm. was, you know, made to be this amazing person. And, and that just is like a slap in the face every time they turned on their TV and they saw, you know, Trevor Noah making a video praising Cuomo when they're like, no, he, he he's not perfect. Like he made mistakes and, and we're dealing with these consequences. We can't even bury our loved ones yet. And he's writing a book. Um, yeah. So I, I, unfortunately, I just think it the way that the media is playing COVID still and, and the way that it's just our, our news cycle is just so ever, you know, every five seconds or something new. I just think that unfortunately we're not going to go back. Yeah. I'm certainly not the first one to say it, but I think it's very much so the classic case of the cover up being worse than the crime. And you're right, Lauren, people uh, wanted honesty. They wanted vulnerability. No one at the beginning of the pandemic really knew what was going on. Uh, and I think there was, in some ways, you know, there still would have been hurt, frustration, anger, but there was a lot more grace. So we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> and he got what was coming. That's <laughs> <laughs> end of the day. All right. Well, let's move on because as promised on the Problematic Women Instagram, we are going to chat about some woke kids books today. Earlier this year, I learned that there was a pretty big market for woke children's books out there and that many of these books were beginning to make their way into classrooms and school libraries all over the country. So I decided that I wanted to get my hands on some of these books and find out what was actually inside. So I spent an afternoon at my desk a couple of weeks ago with a very large stack of woke kids books, just reading through them. <laughs> it was a little bit of a depressing afternoon. I honestly, like it's a little cliche, but I really wasn't sure whether to laugh or cry because you're reading this content and it's so ridiculous. It's so out there, but you realize, gosh, you know, to a five-year-old reading this or a seven-year-old, they can't pick up on the fact that, you know, so much of this is a lie, is not true, is, you know, uh, lies mixed in with truth. They can't parse that out. And so it's, gosh, it's heartbreaking to feel like kids are uh, are being allowed to really be confused and be lied to about their bodies, about their identities, something as foundational as being a man or a woman. We're adding in confusion. They're not asking the questions for, you know, 99.9% of kids they're, you know, they're fine with being a girl or a boy, or we know as the statistics show that for young kids who do experience gender dysphoria, the vast, vast majority grow out of that. We all had, or maybe we were that, you know, tomboy when we were a little girl. Uh, and that's natural. That's normal. That's healthy. That should be celebrated. That doesn't mean a little girl who's a tomboy needs to actually be a boy. So uh, the really the discouraging thing I feel like with these books is like the agenda is so clear. If you teach kids something while they're young, if you teach them to accept gender ideology, to embrace the LGBTQ agenda, it's going to be much more likely that they're going to continue to embrace that as they grow older. Um, so I recently wrote a piece for The Daily Signal that breaks down seven of these books Uh, And Lauren, I want to play a little bit of a game. (laughs) So I'm going to read three titles of these books, and uh, you can guess what you think they're about from the titles. So our first one up, um, The Prince and the Knight. I know our audience can't see the cover, but uh, there's pink writing, large, kind of traditional, uh, like princess writing, um, and it's a pink and purple cover. Wow. Um, I think it's obviously about... 
uh, the 80s singer-songwriter Prince <laughs> meeting the UCF mascot, the knight, and their adventure together. Wow. That sounds really entertaining. I mean, that's right. <laughs> that book should be written. <laughs> Lauren's going to copyright that idea. <laughs> uh, all right. So this book features the story of uh, a prince and a knight that fall in love. Wow. And they slay a dragon together. But as I wrote in my piece, you know, for... For two guys that go on an adventure together and, like, do something brave and accomplish something, traditionally that's meant they're, like, united in friendship. Yeah. It's like this awesome male bond. Well, not for these two. Oh. These two fall in love. And the book ends in a wedding. Uh, so they really wow. drive the point home for wow. kids. Like, they get they get their point wow. across. All right. Book number two. Neither. Oh. Wow. Got, got a picture of a little creature, a little... Uh, Green creature on the front. Oh wow! And it's a uh, it is a duck with bunny ears mm-hmm. and a bunny tail. Uh, wow! I Virginia, I for once might be speechless. <laughs> <laughs> so this book is about a um, a bird bunny that is born into a land where there are only birds and there are only bunnies, and it's both. And so it has to go on a journey to find somewhere where it can fit in. Wow. Um, and so it finally lands itself in the land of all where it's accepted. Um, so this one is very subtle. Okay. Um, I would say it's probably targeted towards like the preschool kindergarten age wow. range, the way it's written. Um, but the agenda is is very clear of essentially saying, no, there's not just two types. There's not just male and female. There's not just birds and bunnies. There's mixes. Wow. Um, okay, final one. This one might be one of my favorites. <laughs> and Tango makes three. It has a picture of two penguins and a little baby penguin on the front. And a big old gold sticker. And a big gold, I don't know what that, I think it maybe won an award or something. Oh, wow. I don't know. Yeah, it's a book award. Um, and that that little penguin is real weird looking. It's fuzzy. Oh, I, I don't know. I don't like it. Uh I think maybe uh, just that's a nice peng- penguin family and, you know, mom and dad penguin and they they have the pebble and that, I don't know. Oh, I, Lauren, you're too innocent. No. Wow. <laughs> this is a, these are two boy penguins. Oh, wow. Yeah. So these are gay penguins and wow. they make a family. <laughs> well, they should have just named the book Gay Penguins. <laughs> they could have. <laughs> that would get the point across. Um, but yeah, the zookeeper... Um, sees that there's two male penguins that are real, real friendly with each other. And so he gives them a little little egg that needs taken care of, and then they raise the little baby together. Wow. So, um, yeah, these are just three. Honestly, these are some of the, the tamer woke kids books that I found. There's one called Who Are You? The Kid's Guide to Gender Identity. That one does not mince words. It's very clear. There's a wheel in the back of the book that lets kids decide for more than a dozen options which gender they are. Um, (laughs) So, yeah. It's like the worst carnival game ever. (laughs) (laughs) Spin the wheels. Which one it lands on. It's it's wild. But, Lauren, um, one of the other books that really does not mince words is very clear is a book called They, She, He, Me free to be um let's see let me pull it out here so um this book begins with a number of pages of illustrations it is illustrated very well i think there's about 18 pages of illustrations of people some are clearly girls some are clearly boys and some are very gender neutral 
Uh, and across the bottom run pronouns. So some pages say he, 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 others she, 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 some me, 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 they, they, they. The last page run uh, says Z tree <laughs> in intervals across the bottom. So the whole book is about pronouns, and there is a section titled Creating Pronouns. Wow. Lauren, would you do us the honors? Yeah, and I, I have to tell our listeners, I have been very interested. Virginia's had this stack of books on her desk all week, and I have not read because I wanted to just blind react <laughs> to all of this on the air for you. So Creating Pronouns. Not only can he and she mean more than what – People think there are also more pronouns than just she and he. You are not alone if he and she don't fit. Many people have played with pronouns and still do because how they feel inside. Here are some ideas. You can use your own name as your pronoun. You can change pronouns from he to she or from she to he. You can use new ones like Z or create your own like tree. Some people use they, which is a perfect way. There are many more pronouns waiting to be discovered and used. People are creating new pronouns all the time. And there you have it. How would you even use your own name as a pronoun? I'm not sure. Well, and as I read this, I was like, when I was a kid, I don't like I don't think I really knew what pronouns were. Like that even just like when I was a college graduate, grammar. I don't think I knew what pronouns were. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's just teach kids first how to read and write. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, wow. Again, yeah, it, it really truly is like, do I laugh or do I cry? Because it's so ridiculous in so many ways. But this is the world we're living in right now. Uh, yeah, I just think it, it shows the vigilance. I mean, because most of these books are, are adorable. And, you know, if your kid pulled them off the shelf, you wouldn't necessarily wouldn't be like, twice, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's just it's crazy. And I, I feel for parents and what, what they're they have to go through. And I mean, even if you're an aunt, uh, still just help help your, your sister or, or your friends out by keeping a watchful eye because it really does take a village to stop kind of really, I mean, indoctrinating our kids with these crazy ideas and yeah. just let them be kids. You know, I, I'm not even saying they can't ever read a book about pronouns, sure, but let them be an adult with a you know fully formed frontal cortex before yeah. we start having these conversations. Yeah, exactly. So agree. All right. If you want to learn more about these types of woke kids books, you can check out my piece at thedailysignal.com. But stay tuned because up next, Lauren talks with Jennifer Lal from the Center for Bioethics and Culture Network about the new film Transmission. What's the rush to reassign gender? Jennifer produced this documentary that breaks down what is exactly happening within the transgender movement. So don't go away. But first, I'm super excited to tell you all about a great new Heritage Foundation video series. Government spending is out of control. And it's affecting you and me through inflation. Subjects like inflation, the debt ceiling, and overspending can be really complex. And that's why the Heritage Foundation partnered with Senator Rick Scott of Florida to create Road Trip on a Budget. Road Trip on a Budget is an animated five-part series that uses the analogy of a road trip, who doesn't love a road trip, to break down how much national debt we have, why it matters, and how the American government can get back on budget. Each episode is just about two and a half minutes long, super fun and easy to understand. You can find all five episodes on the Heritage Foundation YouTube channel, or you can just open your YouTube app and search for Road Trip on a Budget Heritage. 
Welcome back. We have a treat for you today on Problematic Women. I have Jennifer Lull from the Center for Bioethics and Culture Network, and she has a new movie out called Transmission. Welcome, Jennifer. Great. Thanks for uh, letting me be on your show today. It's really fun to be with you. So I want to take a quick moment and just play a quick clip from the trailer of your movie, Transmission. There are doctors in the U.S. who will go to work today and oversee the chemical castration of little boys who will put 14-year-old girls into menopause and give troubled young girls cosmetic mastectomies. I am transgender. I have completely medically transitioned, and I do not have a dog in this fight. I'm trying to save your kids. My daughter's rush to want testosterone was really fueled by her desire to be seen as male. They were saying biological sex itself is these categories aren't real, male and female, and it's just all on the spectrum. They all just kind of blend together. This was just an absurd claim to me, and that's where I started staking out my territory because I'm a biologist, and so I know what the biology is of biological sex. There are some activists who are powerful, who have money, who have access to politicians and the media, and big pharma. The reality is we don't have any long-term studies in children, and there's very good reason to be concerned about the outcome. They scare parents into, your child's going to commit suicide unless you let us put them on these puberty blockers. Do you want a live son or a dead daughter? There is no long-term evidence showing gender affirmation therapy reduces suicides. It's not there. The pediatrician, she said that if I didn't affirm my daughter's identity, and I didn't get her the help that she needed, and she killed herself, I was going to feel awfully guilty. Right in front of my daughter. They were laying on the pressure. If your son reaches biological puberty, you're gonna miss the opportunity for him to be the person he really wants to be or can be. The reason I'm being difficult in this is not because I don't love her. It's because I love her so much that I am willing to take on this whole ideology just to protect her from potentially making an irreversible decision in her future. My name is Natasha Chart from New York State. I will not be forced to lie. I will not submit. So Jennifer, why did you decide to produce the documentary Transmission? Yeah, I get asked that question a lot because most of my past films have been in the area of assisted reproduction. So documentary films about young women who sold their eggs to help somebody have a baby or women who were surrogate mothers who had devastating complications of their surrogate pregnancies. And my background is in pediatric nursing. So once I saw the trans issue sort of creeping into my space on assisted reproduction. So we started having men having babies, and then we had trans men and trans women having babies. And then a new study came out that said trans women who were really biological males now want uterine transplants. And that's all in my space of high-tech pregnancies. And then because of my background in pediatric nursing, when I found out that children young boys, young girls, before they medically and surgically transition to the opposite, opposite sex, which I would say that they can't do, um, are offered fertility preservation. So little girls, young girls, are offered to freeze and bank their eggs so that when they transition to a man and they grow up and want to have children, they can go to the egg bank and get their own eggs. And similarly, the same thing for young boys are offered to bank and freeze their sperm. So once they become a woman, in scare quotes, 
they can go back to the sperm bank and use their sperm to have their biological children. So sort of that collision of mm-hmm. assisted reproduction and my background in pediatric nursing and the fact that this is harmful and dangerous to children, I had to make transmission. Well, what stood out to me about the documentary was just the sheer number of voices that you were able to include. Can you just introduce us to a few that stick out to you and tell us where they stand on, on you know our traditional political scale? Yeah, we were able to do sit-down interviews. Um, some, of course, because of the pandemic, were Zoom interviews with 17 people. Again, because of my background in, in nursing, clinical nursing, we, of course, interviewed doctors. And we interviewed doctors on both sides of the debate. So a pediatrician, for example, was interviewed who supports this, and she runs the gender clinic at her university. And then we interviewed, of course, doctors who are on the opposite side and say that we should not be doing this, who are pediatric endocrinologists or general family practice doctors. We had to interview parents. They're the ones that front and center are really dealing with this with their own children, their own schools, their near their neighborhood, their families. And then a good handful of activists, people who are just out there speaking out against this for various reasons. And then finally, the most probably important voice, which is a really rising voice in this debate, is what we call the detransitioners, people who were told – If you medically and surgically transition, that will fix your problems, your gender dysphoria, your feelings of being born in the wrong body, only to find out after they had done that full medical and surgical transition, it didn't solve their problems. Wow. So you you mentioned that you were a nurse for over 20 years. And now not only did you produce this film and and lots of other films, you run the Center for Bioethics and Culture. So what was that journey from becoming a nurse to where you are now as a public advocate? Yeah, well, you know, nurses are often really, you know, um, motivated by education. I mean, we are educators. We're always educating our pa- our patients on how to take their medication, how to take better care of their health. And in, in the case of pediatrics, which is was the bulk of my nursing career, was educating parents as well as children because you want children to, you know, especially like a newly diagnosed young kid has to learn how to test their blood glucose and and give their own insulin and stuff like that. So um, so it was a natural, um, you know, sort of move into the educational nonprofit world in a space that I already cared a lot about. I saw, you know, I worked in academic university medical centers, UCLA, UC San Francisco, Children's Hospital, Oakland, where you're dealing with sort of the next wave of what's the new technology that was coming down the pike. So I'm really interested in the ethics. We've got to get it right. It's not just can we do it, you know, the question can we do it, but should we do it? And in the case of parents, you know, they have to make life and death on the fly decisions for their children that they have to live with the rest of their life. So making sure that parents can make good decisions for the well-being of their children. So I want to start with kind of the journey of t- today of a child that comes out, let's say, in a, in a liberal state and says, okay, mom, dad, I'm, I'm transgender. So w- why do folks now advocate to rush to put them on puberty blockers? And then what are the dangers of those puberty blockers when they go on them? Well, I think one of the rushes is that it's it's a really um, highly polarized ideology right now. It's become very political. And you're either, you know, a bigot, a transphobe, a hater, or you're tolerant. Um, and so nobody wants to be framed as a, a bigot. 
you know, and that's one of the reasons why doctors are feeling sort of pushed into doing things that they know is not good medicine because they don't want to be shunned by their professional society. I mean, the American Pediatric Society, American Academy of Pediatrics, sorry, and the American Endocrine Society for Pediatrics all support the transitioning of, of minors. Um, so you're out of step. So there's that sort of ideological pressure. Um, there's societal, there's, you know, social media pressure. I mean, how many times you open up the newspaper, a new a new celebrity has said, I'm non-binary, I'm asexual. I mean, Cuomo, Governor Cuomo's daughter just came out, you know, as this new demisexual. Um, so it's sort of the new hip thing. And it's trending on all the social media. And kids are spending a lot of time on TikTok and Instagram and Snapchat. And this is all just blowing up there. Um, so I think that's the rush. It's now seen as this is the appropriate rubber stamped by the professional bodies that this is the appropriate therapy and treatment of these young children. So why not first try something like counseling rather than pushing these kids to, you know, alter their bodies forever? Yeah, because in the olden days, you know, when I was working <laughs> pediatric nursing, that was the the rational, let's just wait. There is no rush. Let's get good counseling. Let's find out what's going on in the home, in the school, in the community. How much time are these kids spending on social media? And get a really good assessment of what's going on and treat those kind of problems. Um, and that's really unfortunate because, and you know, and some of my colleagues and my um, uh you know, people that are I watch on social media say, you know, much of this is driven by money. Uh, one of the physicians in the film says, once you have medicalized a child, you have a patient for life. You know, so somebody who makes a decision to live the rest of their life. I'm from California, like Caitlyn Jenner. You know, Caitlyn Jenner will forever have to be medicalized mm -hmm. um, in order to present himself as a woman. And I say himself because he is a man. He's a biological man. And I refuse to call Caitlyn Jenner um, a, a woman. And so uh, I th one of the biggest arguments that someone who would want to put a child on puberty blockers is if you don't do it, they're going to be at higher risk of suicide, um, that they're you know, going to struggle with depression. I mean, have you found that to be the case? I found that that threat is, is very prevalent. And several of the parents we interviewed in transmission say, you know, oftentimes in front of the child being there, which I find is unconscionable, that a physician would say to a parent in front of the child, if you don't affirm your child's you know, desire to transition, you know, they could take their own life. And the, and the, the uh, data doesn't bear that out. Um, so it's just a um, sort of a, a, a scare tactic. And how old are these kids? I mean, maybe you can make the argument that someone who's 17, 18 is, is closer to being an adult. But what, how does the age of consent play in as children are making these decisions? Yeah, it's, it's – um, again, it's scary to me that, you know, there's children as young as four and five that are being allowed to at least socially transition. And by socially, I mean they're being allowed to dress in mm -hmm. opposite sex clothing. They're being allowed to call themselves a, a boy name if they're a little girl and use their, you know, preferred pronouns and stuff like that. So it is becoming younger and younger. Um, but again, it gets back to what is really going on with this new kind of trend that we have all these young people that are born in the wrong body. Well, and you mentioned the word trend. How is this playing out, not necessarily as a growing kind of medical diagnosis, but kind of a, a social contaminant within schools and, and friend groups with kids? Yeah. I mean, I, what I found in my research um, – for this film and then, of course, just speaking with people in the making of the film is that a lot of these children have been um, 
you know, perhaps somewhere on the autism spectrum. You know, one of the dads in the film, his son has been diagnosed as autistic. You know, one little girl has struggled when her parents went through a nasty divorce. And so that causes these kind of, you know, um, stressors and trauma that they're experiencing and they're reacting to their trauma. And today, a lot of times people just say, oh, well, you're probably born in the wrong body and you you should live your life. And that will solve your – again, back to the detransitioners. You know, this is what will fix your problems. This is what will deal with your trauma. And kids that are normally bullied or on the spectrum that are sort of outcasts are now celebrated. If they come out as trans, they're kind of like the cool kids um, versus just that awkward little boy that nobody wants to pick to be on their, you know, sport team like was the case when I was growing up. You also had on the documentary a woman that has been on the show and I, I think is such a powerful voice and that's Natasha Chart. And you know, she's some radical feminist and, and it's just amazing to me how these these stories all play together. Um of showing, you know, how us as women um you know, there's such a history of, you know, women not being thought as good as. But this is just kind of playing out in a different way. Yeah. Well, Natasha would be probably one of those women that would be called a problematic woman <laughs> yes. because she doesn't tow the, you know, the politically correct narrative. And when you look at, you know, uh, feminist, radical feminist groups, um, uh, you know, they have fought long and hard for safe places for women. And now we've got, you know, this gentleman who's competing as a woman in the Olympics coming up soon. We've got in my state, California, we have way too many, over hundred, several hundred men who have now identified as women so they can be incarcerated in female prisons. And so, you know, women who have fought long and hard like Natasha Chart for protections of women and young girls, you know, see this being whitewashed by you know, Biden and Kamala Harris's Equality Act and, you know, legislation that's happening here on Capitol Hill that is trying to be inclusive and protective of people like transgender people, um, but at the expense of women and girls. Well, and the parents in the documentary, they didn't even seem like when their kids told them, you know, I'm transgender, they were like, wow, this is the end of the world. They were just trying to find additional resources and they were trying to find people to support them through their journey who will give them fair answers and will tell them, you know, what they what they can and, and should do. Uh, what resources would you recommend for anybody or especially any parent in this situation? Yeah. Well, first, I would just agree with what you just said. And I, I was really saddened sitting down with a lot of these parents because they do feel like everybody's against them. Their pediatrician is telling them, you need to affirm this. Their school is saying, you need to affirm your child. Oftentimes, their own family. Um, so it's causing stress within families. Um, so, uh, but yeah, what, well, there are good uh, therapists out there. There are good pediatricians out there. Um, there are, uh, and when I say good, people that are going to look at what's going on with this child and not rush them uh, down on the transgender track of, of uh, conversion to the opposite sex. Um, so, I, you know, people are welcome to contact me, um, but there's a lot of parent support groups out there that are um, coming together. I mean, we've seen that just in sort of the critical race theory debates and how and the shutting down of schools during the COVID pandemic. I mean, parents are a powerful block that can come together. And so there are several really good parent support groups out there that can instantly put people wherever you live, you know, with perhaps somebody in your, your town or your community um, that would um, be a good, a, a good resource. 
Jennifer, why do you use tools like documentaries to get out your message? Well, stories are powerful. Um, you know, and like it or not, we're a visual culture. I mean, we know people are less literate and mm-hmm. less willing to read. I mean, I open up articles all the time and they'll say, you know, read time, three minutes. They're trying to hook you. It's only going to take you three time, three minutes. Please read this. Um, but we've just found that telling people stories um, sort of invites people in. Um, and there's a lot of noise around the trans debate. Uh, so there's a lot of screaming and name calling and viciousness out there. But through the power of storytelling, um, you know, you can really get people to stop and listen and go, oh, I never thought about that side of this debate. And what has the reception to transmission been? I, I saw on YouTube it was awesome. It had like almost 40,000 views. But what have folks who've seen the documentary been telling you about it? Well, it's yes, it's had a lot of views and it's not even been out a month yet. So um, it's had over 40,000 views. Overwhelmingly, the comments are very positive. We thought it immediately, you know, maybe YouTube would pull the, mm-hmm. the film because we know that, you know, books have been pulled when you think of Ryan Anderson's book or Abigail Schreier's book. Um, so we were one, we're just really pleased with the reception that YouTube hasn't, you know, pulled the <laughs> film. Um, and we've been told, you know, so many, I mean, immediately I got emails from parent, these parent support groups that said, thank you so much for making this film. What we've noticed, though, even though a lot of people are watching it, there's not a lot of that thing that you measure the likes and the shares because mm-hmm. people don't want to be outed, we think. Oh, and if you like wow. and share something, people go, oh, you're one of them. You're anti-trans. You're a transphobe. You're a, you know. So while the people are watching it and people are privately uh, contacting I me, mean, not to say that people yeah. aren't liking or sharing it, but our social media team, which this is their space, mm-hmm. um, they're like, this is really an interesting phenomenon here that a lot of people are watching it, but not a lot of people are saying, hey, I want you all to watch this film. It's really great. <laughs> but wow. it gets back to just how polemic mm-hmm. and how charged this this topic is. And people don't want to lose their job. Yeah. Wow. You know, people don't want to, you know, go have their kids go to school and go, oh, your mom and dad are haters and bigots. Um, so, wow, that is that is so interesting. And as someone who's been at the Heritage Foundation, we've had content taken down for very similar reasons. And so, wow, I, I, that is really interesting. But we appreciate you putting up the good fight and and getting out really thoughtful and and important information. So, if any of our listeners would like to watch the video, where can they find it and where can they find your work? Well, it's on our uh, YouTube channel, the Center for Bioethics and Culture Network channel. It's free to watch. It's also on Vimeo. We put it on a second mm-hmm. platform. Just but in it, case. Yeah, just in <laughs> case. But um, Or they can go to our website, cbc-network.org, and find all of our films there. Um, but yeah, please do watch it. And if you're bold enough, like it and share it. <laughs> Tell your friends to watch it. Well, Jennifer, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. an interest in public policy? Do you want to hear lectures from some of the biggest names in American politics? The Heritage Foundation hosts webinars called Heritage Events Live. These events are free and open to the public. To find the latest Heritage events and to register, visit heritage.org events. Welcome back. Now it is that time once again, my favorite time of the week, Time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And the crown goes to Officer Ella French. So normally problematic woman of the week is just a fun segment. But unfortunately today it's 
really a heartbreaking story. Officer French was a 29-year-old Chicago police officer who was shot and killed while conducting a routine traffic stop last Saturday night. She joined the Chicago police force in 2018 and is the first female cop to die in the line of duty in 33 years in Chicago. I think after doing research into Officer French, really the best way to capture her life is through the words of her brother. Uh, He said in the Chicago Tribune that my sister's always been a person of integrity. She's always done the right thing, even when nobody's looking. He continued, she was a humanitarian. She believed in human rights. She was one of the officers in the force that thought that they needed reform because she's seen that on the front line. And just like I have, he was a um, Iraq war veteran. She's always been the caring person. When I was in Iraq, me and her talked, and she has some attributes that you just don't find in the world anymore. He also talked about what she was like with her family. He said, quote, she was there for my mom. She was reliable. She's my sister. She's my little sister. And as much as I was there for her when we were growing up, she was there for me. And I was proud of her. I'm still proud of her. Like this, God took the wrong kid, he said. I've done some really expletive things because being in the army, you don't do beautiful things at all. But my sister was a wonderful person in all ways. Well, it's just, it's so heartbreaking she was beautiful on the outside and on the inside, and she you know, was so noble to join the police force and, and really want to reform the police to make sure that they were successful in what they do and help the community. And I think just that legacy of hers, of loving others, and I mean, as tragic as it is that she passed, and for this message to come out of her death, I, I just think... The words of her brother are so beautiful, and I really hope people take time to reflect and, and and better their own lives. I really think that being a police officer is one, especially in a city like Chicago and our major cities across America, is one of the hardest jobs you can have right now. There's so much tension, and for those that choose to continue to serve or that are choosing to you know go into the police force, that is so honorable. Like It really is a selfless career. Uh, and you're right, Lauren, like this is, our, it's a really sober reminder just of the service that these men and women give to their communities, to their country. Uh, and it's powerful to see um, a sibling just sharing his love for his sister, what she was really like, and uh, how she lived her life, both at home and, and in the service. Yeah. It's normally such a fun uh, segment, and but we just wanted to take sometime this week to really honor her and her life. So please, if you're a praying person, keep her family in your thoughts and prayers. But just, you know, this week, whatever you can do to be more like Officer French. And with that, that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. Conservatives need your support in the podcast world. And we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, wherever you do get your podcasts. It might be a little thing for you, but it makes a huge difference to us. Thank you all so much for doing that. We truly, truly appreciate it. And have a great weekend and a great week. We will be back with you on Thursday.
Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.